0: Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the pandemic has sparked any number of ethical dilemmas in healthcare settings and in everyday life.
1: While these problems are difficult, we can manage to live with this pandemic in a way that That maintains our integrity and also maintains our safety.
0: Paul Root Wolpe, a medical ethicist at Emory University, joins me for a discussion about how doctors allocate scarce resources when caring for COVID 19 patients and about living an ethical life in these complicated times. That's next.
1: You love free. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org.
0: As COVID-19 hospitalizations rise in Georgia and resources become more scarce, doctors could soon have to make hard decisions about which patients get care. That's why healthcare facilities have written out policies to make these decisions easier, says Paul Root-Wolpe, a medical ethicist at Emory University. He joins me now to discuss how those policies work and how to navigate some of the everyday ethical dilemmas that people face when living through a pandemic. Paul, thanks for talking with me. My pleasure. I want to start by talking about ethics in the healthcare setting. This is a pandemic. Lots of people are receiving treatment for COVID-19, and we've been hearing more and more recently that facilities have been more and more strained. They've been seeing more and more patients. Grady Memorial Hospital this week even said that it is full essentially. And all this to me points to this idea that we only have a fixed number of healthcare resources to hand out to people who need them. So, thinking about how we allocate those resources equitably, what should healthcare providers keep in mind if they're in a situation when they say have to pick and choose with this scarcity of resources?
1: So I think it's very important for people to realize that it isn't and shouldn't be up to the healthcare providers to choose what resources to give which patient. A healthcare provider's responsibility is to do everything they can for the patient in front of them, not to be worrying about if I help this patient, will I have enough resources for the next patient? That has to happen in a separate way. And so at Emory and uh, around the country, bioethicists have been helping health systems write policies that help them allocate ventilators, ICU beds, help them triage. So when that moment comes, the policy of what you should do should be clear. And what's interesting about that is different states and different healthcare systems have written slightly different policies. So, exactly what you might do in Georgia in a particular situation can be different than what they'll do in New York or what they'll do in Colorado or Texas or California.
0: So, the idea that a policy makes this decision reminds me of something that I think people might have heard early on. There was this policy, I guess it was, from a healthcare system in northern Italy that went really into detail about how to allocate a resource such as a ventilator. So you think something like that should be instituted?
1: So we they have been. So I spent the first few months of COVID, as did all of my colleagues. I am currently the president of the National Association that brings together all bioethics program directors. And all we talked about for months was how to help our healthcare systems write these policies in New York, for example, there's a state policy, so there are also state policies. But you're right. When the time comes, policies are just on paper. In the real lived experience of the healthcare system, things are often more complex than policies can imagine. So in most cases, what these systems are doing is creating small committees that look at each case and apply the policy in the real world at a real time with all the nuances and all of the complications that are hard to get into policy. What you don't want is the healthcare provider in charge of that patient making this decision. So these committees are made up of nurses and doctors and ethicists and legal counsel sometimes and other people from the system who have no direct patient care And if there are physicians on that committee, they are, by the policy, not allowed to be seeing patients at that time, so that allocating these resources can be made by people who are trying to do their best to both help all the patients and make sure that the resources are used as best they can be.
0: And I'm assuming without that kind of emotional connection to the patient, which we could assume might cloud a physician's judgment.
1: Exactly. And it's it's actually more than just emotion. It is a physician's fiduciary responsibility, their legal and moral responsibility to do what's in the best interests of their patients. So if I have to decide between my patient and another patient to get a resource, I actually have a conflict that's more than just a theoretical one. I actually have a legal and a moral conflict. So that's why we try to make sure that the doctors who are actually treating patients are not making these decisions. What
0: guides these policies? I'm thinking if you have two patients competing for a particular resource, each one of their personal situations, their stories, their lives, how old they are, how healthy they are is potentially going to be so infinitely complex. How do you prioritize in these kinds of policies who gets care?
1: You're right. It's very difficult. So this is how we started. Uh, Most places thought you could start with an objective physical measure, For example, um, we have a measure of general health called SOFA, which stands for sequential organ failure assessment that are used in critical situations where you look at a number of different measures, respiration, the immune system, and you come up with basically a score of how healthy or in how much distress an individual is. So everyone said, well, let's start with the SOFA score and someone with a better SOFA score should get the ventilator over someone with a worse one because they're more likely to benefit from it and more likely to survive. But even that began to become controversial. So for example, the disability community said, wait a second, we start out with certain deficits um, that start us out with a lower SOFA score. So this is discriminatory against people with disabilities. So even at the most objective level, there are um, differences in how people think about these things. Another example was age. People said, well, you know, if you have an uh, an elderly person with COVID and you have a young person in the prime of their life with COVID, shouldn't we give the resource to the person in the prime of their life? So in some systems and in some states, age is a criteria and other ones, it's not. The point I'm making is there was a lot of debate. Um, And these are moral compromises. That is, there isn't an absolute right or wrong answer and different systems and different states wrote up their policies uh, with slight differences, trying their best to accommodate the needs of all the patients.
0: We have seen with this novel disease just in six months how it's disproportionately affecting minorities, people of color. If you can characterize the discussion for me around that, if we know that certain populations are more vulnerable to this disease, is that a consideration taken for the kind of priority they might get when it comes to treatment?
1: Yes. And there are real challenges to that. Let's say that you wanted to really give some benefit or advantage to disadvantaged populations to put them on a more even keel with Those who um, have more resources, who can get to the hospital more quickly, who have stronger medical advocates because they're more involved in the system. You then have to create a policy that defines exactly who those disadvantaged populations are. And when you get down to it, it becomes very, very difficult. We don't want to do it simply by things like race or ethnicity or those kinds of broad categories because they don't define disadvantage in and of themselves. So again, there have been a lot of attempts to try to figure out how to do that. Uh, Some policies do include that element and do their best to try to define who should be counted in and out of those categories. Some of these policies say, we'll leave it up to these triage committees that I talked about, these groups that are making these decisions, to make that decision on a case-by-case basis. But it actually ends up being very hard to implement when you try to turn it into a policy that will be fair to everybody.
0: And I want to pivot now to maybe not think about the healthcare setting specifically, but to think about living life in the midst of a pandemic. It seems to me now that for so many people, the risks associated with doing tasks that we might have considered mundane and everyday previously – are now much more elevated and much more present, risks not just to ourselves, but the people, say, working at a grocery store that we might be going into. How do you think people should conceptualize the kind of risk that we're all living in these days, especially considering that for a vast majority of us, we've never had to think about the ethical implications of, say, going to a restaurant, going to a grocery store, that that kind of thing?
1: I think you're absolutely right that COVID has caused us to rethink the nature of our public responsibilities. When I hear people talk about not wearing a mask and then talk about their own rights, I can only think about how selfish it is to not recognize that you're not wearing a mask puts me at risk or someone else at risk who might be immunocompromised or have other reasons that they could be especially vulnerable to infection. Um, This really is a measure of the degree to which we as community members are willing to make very small sacrifices for the welfare of others. I have watched with a kind of fascination um, the way in which people are being both extremely careful and solicitous of others And also trying to understand exactly what their responsibilities are. How far away do we need to stand? When do I put on my mask? When is it okay not to wear a mask? These are all things that we're trying to negotiate with each other. It has been, I think, particularly difficult because we've gotten a lot of mixed messages from our leadership. federal leadership state leadership even city leadership in some places have given us different kinds of messages and that has made it much more difficult than if we had gotten a unified message but i think now we've come to the point where there is consensus almost universally by at least those who have training or represent strong political health leadership that uh, masks are required while the uh, Infection rate is um, increasing the way it's increasing. We've had an unfortunate learning curve, but I think we're now at the place where people are beginning to really appreciate the need to take this very seriously and to do those simple things that protect all of us from these increasing infection rates that we're seeing.
0: You mentioned this learning curve, and as we were discussing policy building for healthcare settings, you said there are so many questions and not a lot of easy answers. I wonder your take on kind of the American public's ability to grapple with something this big and unknown, but at the same time so dangerous, especially when it comes to figuring out what's right and wrong, because I think the voices that get elevated um, are the extreme voices, people who say are very anti-mask or who, you know, want to cloister in their homes and never leave again. But I don't really know if that's representative of the broad swath of our country who's like kind of confused still. Um, Is it fair to people to say this this is hard to figure out and to kind of give them space to do that?
1: We've had kind of a perfect storm of difficulty around COVID. First of all, we live in the most polarized political atmosphere uh, that we're in in many of our lifetimes or most of our lifetimes, which means that parties aren't even compromising with each other. So you're getting very different messages. We have had a systematic attempt to undermine definitions of fact and truth that have made any statement, no matter how well um, backed up by the evidence, suspect. And on top of that, we've gotten enormous mixed messages about what we should do in this country and how we should behave. So when you put all of that together, that is what I think has led to the confusion that a lot of the public has had since uh, March. But I don't think that that confusion is justified anymore. There is consensus broadly across almost all experts and across the world about what this is and how to prevent it and what actions will decrease our infection and our death rates and what actions will increase it. And um, we are at a point now where I think people, if they are still feeling confused and if they are still feeling oppositional, it is not because they're willing to look at and listen to the evidence and the consensus of the people who have studied this their whole lives and for years, but rather because they have political agendas that they want to fulfill.
0: I'm wondering kind of practically what advice you would give someone who is trying to navigate just really basic parts of their life. If we want to think about someone who feels conflicted going to a grocery store because They don't want to potentially expose a worker there. I mean, it just seems like the risk is now very concrete (laughs) in ways that it's maybe not been for for people before. So just practically, how would you recommend someone calculate the ethical weight of living out parts of their daily lives?
1: That is such a wonderful question. And it's the key to ethics because people misunderstand what ethics is. What we're taught ethics is, is what's right and what's wrong. But very little of ethics is about what's right and what's wrong. Harming other people, stealing all of those things, we can say they're wrong in a sort of absolute way. But the vast majority of ethical challenges that adults have in their lives are not about a right thing and a wrong thing. They are about two values in conflict, two things that you want to fulfill but you can't fulfill them both. So if you think about going to the grocery store You have to ask yourself, what are the values that I am honoring and how can I best honor them? So I value safeguarding the health of my family. I value safeguarding the health of the workers at the grocery store. I value the fact that the workers at the grocery store are making an income because they are at the grocery store and that that's very important to them. I value the fact that my going to the grocery store is my feeding my family. And so... Using your best safety precautions and keeping social distancing and wearing the mask, there are lots of ways you can make the experience as safe as possible and still you know, honor the other values that send you to the grocery store in the first place. And this is a calculation we each have to make in our lives. And we made it before COVID about all kinds of things where our values are in conflict, COVID makes it a little bit more difficult and makes the stakes higher. But the same calculation has to happen for each of us. And I think the way in which we try to get around it is by making those values explicit to ourselves. Why do I feel the need to do this? And why do I feel the need to do that? And how are those two things in conflict? And how can I best honor the values that I stand for and live with as I try to negotiate my way through this pandemic.
0: For someone like you who does this work, I mean, you've always, I'm sure, been focused on how to make these decisions about allocating resources and, you know, in the midst of some kind of pathogen, how people should, you know, live their lives in an ethically responsible way. But just reflect on what this moment has has been like for you. I mean, I know for me, I have spent the last six months <laughs> pretty much every day staring directly at this problem. But I'm also not helping people uh, make really life and death decisions here. So just what has this been like for you to just kind of grapple with all this?
1: So my colleagues and I talk about this a lot. It is a very interesting time to try to talk about ethics for two reasons. One is because everybody is in this boat. These decisions are ethical decisions that we are all trying to make. So in one sense, everybody is talking ethics now, which, you know, Outside of the context that it's unfortunate that is in the midst of a great pandemic, I think is healthy that people are really trying to grapple with these ethical problems in an open, honest way. But it also highlights how difficult these problems are, how little we talk about them sometimes outside of crises, how some people really have not developed. Their ethical muscles, so to speak. So when these dilemmas come up, they don't feel well equipped to really think them through. And so we in the ethics world have been working overtime to try to say there are ways to think about these things. There are ways to try to reason through these conversations. There are measures that you can take that are ethically appropriate. And uh, if we can talk that through together and if we can come to consensus about it, you'll see that While these problems are difficult and they're thorny and sometimes people will reason their way to different ethical conclusions, still, we can manage to live with this pandemic in a way that that maintains our integrity and also maintains our safety.
0: Paul Root Wolpe is a medical ethicist at Emory University. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. Special thanks to Stephen Key. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands@wabe.org. at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening.